This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. KWTX at 4 starts now. Happy Friday to you. I'm Lauren Westbrook alongside meteorologist Jillian Johnson. We made it, Jillian. Woohoo! Yes. We survived. We sure did. We're back in this heat. Yep. But you know, things could be worse. We're really thinking about everyone in Hawaii, and that is where we're starting off our daily four with those rescue and recovery efforts. They continue on the Hawaiian island of Maui, but relief for the survivors seems to be coming from many different directions, even other countries. Today, while visiting President Biden in Camp David, Japan's prime minister announced a pledge of $2 million in aid for Maui wildfire victims. So wow. phenomenal coming from Japan, also supporting Maui, the makers of uh, Beanie Babies. Yeah, look at this one. They're releasing a new limited edition bear. It's named Aloha and it's gold with a rainbow ribbon. The words Maui strong on its chest. Ty Warner says all profits from its sale will go to the American Red Cross. Beanie Babies come with birthdays and poems. I don't know if you remember reading some of those growing up, but Aloha's birthday is August 8th, the day the wildfires took off in Maui. Wow, I just actually got the goosebumps. I did too. And the poem says helping each other all day long we forever will stay Maui strong. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. That's actually really powerful stuff because, you know, some companies will be like, oh, a little proceeds or part, portion of this will go to that cause. And to know that every single cent is going to help people is yeah. amazing. It's really amazing to hear. A tapping into people's nostalgia. So hopefully that'll take off and, and get a lot of help for the folks in Maui. We have a lot of local people doing things too. You know, many of you, if you're watching the news, want to do something and you just feel helpless. Southern Roots decided to do something. The brewing company in Waco, in light of the recent tragedy in Maui, they're teaming up with Waikiki Brewing. That's lost its location in Lahaina and they're doing this to help raise donations for those impacted by the fires. Starting today until Sunday, a portion of all sales at Southern Roots Brewing will be donated to those in need. We've talked a little bit about other restaurant chains doing something Lion since Bros, this happened, mm -hmm. l Yeah, so there are plenty of ways that you can help just a little bit. Uh, as we head into the weekend and we're thinking about the families in Hawaii. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of times we'll, we'll see all of this horrible video and you're just sitting at home feeling truly helpless. And yeah. so it's, it's awesome that knowing here locally, there's the people that want to help out. And if you can do that, go ahead and do that. Definitely. Now on to number two in our daily four. 
Okay, well time is running out for eligible Facebook users to file a claim in a data privacy settlement case. Facebook's parent company, Meta, agreed to pay $725 million in December to settle a host of privacy-related class action lawsuits. The suits alleged third parties had access to private users' information. Eligible users have until August 25th to file a claim, so one week from today, you can scan the QR code on your screen right now to go to that claims page. Now, in order to be eligible, you must have had a Facebook account at any point between May 24, 2007 and December 20, 22nd there of last year. Now, as far as how much you could receive in a payment, well, that depends how long you were a user and how many users file a claim. Now, administra administrative, legal, and court costs will also be deducted from the overall settlement fund that may be a quick way to you know get some money that's for sure yeah well that a lot of you were interested in that the last time we talked about this and scanned that qr code so there you go there's a way that you can get your uh information and maybe get some money we'll yeah, see how it goes i mean that's actually something really to think about but the final approval a hearing for the settlement is scheduled actually for september 17th so that's going to be right around the corner too so i think many of us have had a facebook's in that time frame so might want to check that out. Yes, and on to number three in our daily four. We all know the saying, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. In 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, everyone's life was upended. We, we know it all too well. Everything happened all at once, all over the world. It's really crazy that we went through that yeah. when I think about it. But yeah. many people were away from their home countries at the time and either had a very hard time getting back or they couldn't get back at all. That included a woman from Massachusetts named Stephanie Tannenbaum. She was stranded in Costa Rica, but what appeared to be an ill-timed vacation turned into a whole new life, one that she embraced with open arms. She got stuck in the coastal town of Nazara during the pandemic, but ended up feeling so at home, she decided to stay permanently. <laughs> I guess there are worse places you could that's, get stuck. <laughs> during true. the pandemic, she opened up a sustainable boutique luxury hotel. Four years later, Tannenbaum says Hotel Sendero aims to give guests, quote, a sense of belonging, like she felt when she first arrived there. How cool is that? And yeah. looking at those pictures, that place is nice. It's, it really is like a true getaway and you make a home away from home. That makes me want to go. I know, right? Get some, my some vacation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that, that's really cool. It really is making the best out of a worst case scenario situation. And now she has a new home and new life. And many of us just were stuck in our lives, you know, here at home. So yes, she's really doing kinda, a lot of Zooms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just turn it all around for herself. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Big <laughs> congratulations to her and on to daily four, number four. Okay, so you've heard of Taco Tuesday, but how about Fajita Friday? Yes, Today is National Fajita Day. Now, Mexican cowboys in Texas created the delicious dish that we have all eaten, I'm sure. In the 1930s, after a day of hard work, they would make a meal with the so-called throwaway cuts of beef and a tortilla on campouts. A couple decades later, people started adding in cheese and vegetables to become the fajitas we love today. Of course, the best way to celebrate is obviously to eat some fajitas. The, the holiday was created uh, by On the Border Mexican Grill uh, and Cantina in 2016. Several national Mexican restaurant chains are offering special deals. I saw that Moe's Southwestern Grill has one obviously on the border. I think it's like $5 off their fajitas. Ooh, okay. But I mean, that's cool for it to land on a Friday. Yes, and I'm actually surprised it took us 
2016 to declare this a national day. <laughs> I know. I thought the same thing when I was reading that earlier. I'm like, 2000, that wasn't that long ago. No. And then you think about how, like, every day there's a national day for something. So it's interesting to see which happened where, but I'm all for fajitas. What, how do you do your fajitas? Oh, I actually just keep it simple, like rice, meat, cheese. Tortilla. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know it's not technically a real fajita with like a soft tortilla shell, but I love a crunchy shell. Oh, yeah. So it's okay. like, like a taco, but yeah. I mean, you know, I'll eat it still. No discrimination. There's, when it comes to Mexican food, <laughs> it's all delicious. What about you? Yeah, chicken. I love I, I love all the things. I'm mainly a chicken, fajita chicken person. So but we could split. I we yeah. could split. Like, we could get the half and yeah. half. <laughs> well, coming up, some video games. Sneak in a little education along with the fun hardwires. Andrew Hamilton explains after the break. Stay tuned. With school back in session and all the serious conversations behind us, Andrew Hamilton from Hardwired Gaming wants to turn the attention to the educational, that the uh, boosts that your children can receive from playing games, not just a hobby, but a tool to sharpen minds and reflexes. Andrew? Last week, we had a wide variety of back-to-school segments, but with most schools returning this week, I wanted to talk about one subject that has always been left out, video games. More specifically, the role games play in the development of key skills and education points in our kids. Uh, wait a second, Mr. Hardwired, don't video games melt your brain and kill your brain cells? First off, Mr. Hardwired is my father. Please, call me Dr. Hardwired. Secondly, that couldn't be further from the truth. Video games have been shown to actually increase many core skills in developing kids, including, but not limited to, literacy, problem solving, spatial awareness, hand-eye coordination, and even complex information analysis. No, not every video game is a fantastic learning tool, but I've gathered a few here that I think are worth highlighting, and that's what we're gonna do today. I'm Andrew Hamilton from Hardwired, and this is your back-to-school gaming homework. If you have a kid of pretty much any age, you've probably heard of Minecraft. The boxy survival building game lets players carve out an existence on a world all their own. But don't let its basic shapes and cartoony appearance fool you, because not only does this game hone skills in creative thinking, problem solving, and resource management, but it also teaches the backbone of coding. Many schools that offer game development extracurricular classes use Minecraft to let students learn basic coding, and the things that they can create would blow your mind. For instance, a fully functioning cell phone iconic landmarks, and even full Rube Goldberg machines. It's insane. So this is one that offers a lot of passive skill development and is worth letting the kids sit down for a couple of hours to play. The Portal series is actually the first game that I thought of when I was trying to make this list. It's the OG first-person puzzle-solving game, and its sci-fi physics-based gameplay made it a no-brainer. The duology sees protagonist Chell taking on chamber after chamber of tests using her portal gun. Fire once to make a portal in one spot, and a second time to bridge the gap with another portal. Being a first-person shooter-style game, naturally this one does improve your hand-eye coordination, but its puzzling physics-based test chambers make it an excellent tool for teaching kids things like inertia, momentum, acceleration, and gravity. Plus, the game's antagonist, GLaDOS, makes an excellent sarcasm coach. And bonus! The best motivational speaker ever, Cave Johnson, can teach your kids how to be a charismatic speaker who can talk about what to do when life gives you lemons and where you can put those lemons. When life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Make life take the lemons back. Get mad. Demand to see life's manager. 
Make life rule the day and thought it could give Cave Johnson lemons. It's a great game to introduce physics concepts to your child without overwhelming them. Okay, hear me out. Pokemon's concept at its core involves a 10-year-old going out Darwin-style to record data on every Pokemon in a given region. So right off the Zubat, we've got categorization skills, but on top of that, the tight matchups and battles make kids have to consider strengths and weaknesses and how they'll affect one another, giving them solid information analysis skills. The Pokemon series also features no voice acting, which means every ounce of the game is also a book that has to be read, giving a secret literacy bump to your kids while they're playing. But mostly, even with over a thousand Pokemon to catalog, you can bet that these kids will come away with some of, if not most of, all of them memorized, including key points of information for them. And I'm not just saying that because I was a kid growing up with Pokemon who did that. I'm saying that as an adult who has a child growing up with Pokemon who is currently doing that. Memorization skills will no doubt benefit here. Pokemon may seem an odd choice, but it has been shown to improve on all these things and also leads to a lifelong love of, uh, you know, collecting things you don't need. Huh, go figure. Alright, this one is an obscure one, but way back in 1996, an arcade on-rail shooter was released in arcades across the nation. It was called The House of the Dead, and it featured you taking on hordes of zombies with your light gun and tactical bag of terrible voice acting. Fast forward to 2001, and some genius over at WoW says, You know what made this game lose popularity? It's the lack of educational purpose. I gotta tell you, we gotta take the guns away. Let's make them fight zombies with literacy and knowledge. And somehow, the publisher, Sega, actually went for that. Enter the Typing of the Dead, a sanitized version of the original to help teach keyboard literacy and accuracy. So instead of blowing a zombie away with a shotgun, players enter words as quickly as they appear on screen to take down the foul undead. It's goofy, but man does it work as a typing class. The characters even wear keyboards around their neck like some kind of power ballad busting keytar player. It's truly a classic. The world of capitalism can be a cold, unfeeling world especially for those with ludicrous amounts of debt. So Nintendo slapped a free vacation island and cute furry creature on it, and somehow Animal Crossing makes that more bearable. This adorable game teaches the concepts of agriculture, community building, biology, home renovation, the importance of nature life conservation, resource management, and project planning. But most importantly, financial responsibility. You see, when you land on this island, you gain a place of shelter for yourself by taking a nice little loan from a local trash panda. Want to upgrade that place? Well, you'll need to pay off your previous loan so you can take out another one to expand. Now, Tom Nook is a reasonable loan shark. He won't come after you and take your kneecaps for missing payments, but he will halt all progress on the game until he gets what he's owed. This game is an excellent way to introduce your kids to the wonderful world of loans and being frugal, or a way to introduce them to exploiting a market to make millions in turnip stocks. You know, whichever. Edutainment is normally not very good. It misses the mark on teaching kids a lot of times, and it misses the mark on being entertaining. But there are some gems out there like the ones I've highlighted here today, so feel free to explore. And remember, video games aren't bad when played in moderation. If you like what I do here, feel free to head over to youtube.com forward slash hardwired on KWTX and subscribe. Till next time, I'm Andrew Hamilton from Hardwired. All right, thank you so much, Andrew. That, gosh, that made me want to kind of get my Switch out and play some games that triggered. And I'm so excited to learn more about those uh, new games that I hadn't heard about and hopefully some educational situations there for the kids. Coming up, News 10's Chad Botherine is live from the Waco Card Show. That's a card with a D, not the cars. We'll hear all about the rare collectibles when we come back. Stay tuned.
The world of sports memorabilia and card collecting is taking off and it has been over the last several years. Today, the phenomenon is touching down in Waco, the first ever Waco card show. It's happening this weekend and our news since Chad Bothering is live at the Waco Convention Center. Chad, you just got to go to the Dallas Fort Worth area to cover one of these and now we have one in our backyard. Yeah, Lauren, I mean, it's it's already so much fun. I've already made a couple purchases myself because, I mean, it's this collection business, this industry, it's absolutely grown. It's grown from DFW, Houston, all across the country. Now, finally in Waco, and I'm standing alongside the man that was kind of behind uh, bringing this card show to Waco, Mr. Chris Fernandez. Chris, I mean, you, you've been in the card collecting industry for quite some time now, and you've seen this grow, and now it's in Waco. How ideal of a place is this? I mean, we were kind of talking earlier, you were saying this is the best place probably in Texas for this show to be at. It's a dream come true. Um, like I said before, it's the trifecta of the collector community within Texas, and I think it's a long time waited. We're happy to have this here in Wake. It's going to be a uh, booming hobby just expanding outside of Waco and outside of the United States. Yeah, Chris, I mean, there's all sorts of different people. There, there's kids here. There's people who've been collecting for years. I mean, it's kind of, would you say this is probably for anybody who just loves sports or maybe even doesn't love sports? They just kind of want to get into this hobby. Yeah, I mean, I think the hobby is really for anyone. Um, my, my biggest piece of advice is come down and just check it out. See, just walk around, walk, walk, the, walk the vendors, see what's there. Um, there's even vintage toys. Um, if you don't like cards, but you like other sorts of uh, toys or relics, we have it here. So please come down, take a look. Um, I guarantee you will spark something in the hobby for you. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Chris, I mean, there's people all across Texas and other people from, you know, different places. There's also, we have some some local people. Uh, we got Banksins, who's, they're from right here in Waco. So, I mean, they're doing a lot of business, great stuff here. And, I mean, it's attracting so many people, but it's also attracting some Baylor kids even. And uh, I think we were talking a little bit. There's even kind of a special deal if, uh, yeah, just kind of tell us about the Baylor deal, maybe a discount that they get. Oh, I'm sorry we lost that shot, but Chad, thank you so much for the coverage from the Waco Convention Center. Baylor kids do get a discount from what we're hearing before that shot uh, went out. So have a great time, Chad, and thanks to everyone who's involved with the Waco Card Show and let us come out there and do some TV. I was really interested, Jillian. Yeah, I was like, oh, to even if you're not into the cards, like the toy collection like he was talking about it's a big deal yeah and then also being able to like see the prices of like what things are going in like you don't have to do it but to see it and experience then also for this weekend it's something to do inside